Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and the turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver on the road to reckoning. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, your mechanic. Hop in that driver's seat, folks. Who's keeping the snacks in this settlement? Today's quote is by Anne Patchett. Divorce is in the machine now, like love and birth and death. Its possibility informs us, even when it goes untouched. And if we fail at marriage, we are lucky we don't have to fail with the force of our whole life. Last time, we talked about caring for your parents as they age. This time, we're covering another challenging situation, handling divorce. Don, why don't you start us off with some background on divorce? So divorce comes from the Latin root divortium, which means to separate or take a different path. The first written reference that we have to divorce was in 1760 BC by King Hammurabi of Babylon. Now, were you around for that one? Did you were pals with King Hammurabi, right? Yes. Yes, I was. Back in I was back in Babylon. It was fun in Babylon, let me tell you. Yeah? How did So how did divorce work in Babylon? Well, it was terribly unfair. If you were a man, you just had to say, you are not my wife, pay a fine, and return the dowry. And you were divorced. Clear and easy. Nice. A, A woman had to file a complaint to be reviewed by a judge to get a divorce. And there is if no the mention of what approved, the settlement is. I was going to say, if the judge approved it, did she have to pay a fine? I, it's her dowry. I don't know. How does it's that not work? mentioned? Uh, well, and women didn't have independence back then, so they would have gone back to their family, right? Yes, Almost most likely. Or they would have been on the street. Right. It probably yeah. would have just been fully bad. Yeah, not a lot of choices back then. Uh, Of course, people would argue that today there are not a lot of choices. Thinking about the quote that Kim read for us, I feel like perhaps in 1760 Babylon, for women, you probably did fail with the force of your whole life if you got divorced. I suspect it was just bad all around. Mm -hmm. But luckily, we are no longer in 1760 BC. Nor are we in Babylon. So in the US, Maryland declared divorce legal in 1701. South so Carolina about, got... That's A.D., not B.C. Yeah, that's right. That's A.D. 1701. <laughs> Since we're still AD. in the 17s. <laughs> <laughs> that's an amazing time later, though, when yeah. you think about it. And South Carolina got to a legalizing divorce by 1950, which completed all 50 states. I was looking at this stat that you put in here, and it's crazy to me that it took from 1701 to 1950 to get to all 50 states. That's that's not as big a jump as 1760 BC to 1701 AD, but it's still a pretty long time. Well, you also have to think about the creation of the states in there. Okay, that's a good point. That's fair. But 1950? Like 1950 wasn't that long ago. 1701 was a while ago. Right, right. 
And South Carolina's on the East Coast. I don't know the year South Carolina became a state, but it was way before 1950. <laughs> That's true. But you have to also remember that religiosity played a role in this. And from a religious point of view, divorce is really not seen as a positive thing. For the record, the last two states to join Alaska and Hawaii were both in 1959. Yep, but so South Carolina became a state in 1776. But no, okay. Papa, your point stands, of course. There's lots of reasons it would have taken that long. It's just interesting to look at in that perspective from the year 2021 to look at those dates and think about it. Well, And the other thing is that discrimination against women in the United States is amazingly prevalent. Really? Um, Tell me about it. The ERA was just ratified by the number of states required for it to become an amendment to the Constitution. But the guy that publishes the Constitution won't publish the amendment because he says the time ran out to get it uh, ratified. Fascinating. It's in court now. Wait, what's the ERA? Equal Rights Amendment for Women. Okay. Which would make it illegal to pay a woman less for the same job that a man does. Right. And there's one guy that publishes the Constitution? Yeah, the amendments to the Constitution. I forget what his title is. But he's saying that the time limit ran out. The Constitution doesn't say there's a time limit for amending and ratifying the amendment. This was a statement that was put in the preamble by uh, Congress when this came mm. out. So it's an interesting legal case. Back to legal cases. New York so, was the last state to adopt no-fault divorce in 2010. Yeah, but we haven't talked about California legalizing oh, no-fault divorce in 1970. Back to legal cases. So before, before 1970, if you wanted a divorce, you had to accuse the other person of some crime that would give you the right to divorce, like infidelity. Abuse, theft, abuse, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, probably not theft. Theft would be probably hard, huh? Because your possessions are probably shared most of the time. Right. Usually joint. So no fault was the idea that we have irreconcilable differences and that's sufficient um, for a reason to dissolve the contract. Nobody is at fault. We just don't want to be partners anymore. Yeah. Right. Okay. And that increased the number of divorces that were happening because it was mm. much easier. The threshold was easier. So divorce is often seen as a solution, but, you know, my experience suggests it's more like an invitation to a different set of problems. The problems come like with you. you. Right. Yeah. You often say the problems come with you. So even not necessarily a different set, it's the same set of problems that you're carrying on. Right. And you're still going to have to deal with them. The divorce right. doesn't solve them. Yeah, that's correct. It, it could be the people that you pick as romantic partners. It could be the way that you handle conflict or don't. The way that you communicate or don't. <laughs> it can well, be any said, of those things. We've said before, I believe last season on the show, that you cannot change anybody else. They have to choose to change. And mm -hmm. you can influence that change and you can help people change themselves. But the only person you can directly change is yourself. So... That I think that plays into this. If you get divorced, you're likely to run into the same problems with somebody else if you don't change anything about yourself. 
The only guaranteed relationship that is lifelong is the relationship to the self. In 2018, the CDC put out the marriage and divorce rates. So the Center for Disease Control actually monitors marital and divorce rates because of the health impact of divorce and bad marriages. Hmm. So the marriage rate in 2018 was 6.5 people per uh, 1,000 total population. So in that year, 6.5 people out of every 1,000 got married. Does that include like kids? Just what is population? Do you happen to know? I never understand statistics. So I would actually have to go look that up. I think it's adults. Yeah. Since most states prevent marriage with children. Well, but yeah. Okay. But that would be, this is why stats, right? 6.5 per 1000 population seems very low as a number. But if that is, I don't know, it seems low to me. I don't know. Well, so how many times have you gotten married? Is. You were only married once four years ago. Yeah, I know. I was only married once 38 years ago. <laughs> so that's why I've the number might. have never been married. No. So I'm that might kidding. be why the number seems low to you. But the, the key number here is the divorce rate in that same year was 2.9 people per thousand population. So just under half of the marriages ended in divorce. Now, this is a little bit of a strange statistic because the 6.5 people who got married did not include the 2.9 that divorced. Right. We've talked about this before. Right. This particular set. You can't compare these two numbers. You can only look at them as rates per thousand. Yes. Separately. Although they're often seen as about half of the marriages that happen end in divorce. Although most divorces happen somewhere between seven and 10 years after the marriage. Right. So, yeah, it might be interesting to look at the marriage rate in, I don't know, 2010 and the divorce rate in 2017. But even those wouldn't be specifically directly comparable. It's just on average based on some other data and info you have. Um, So the more important stat to me when I was looking at all of this is that the U.S. is at a record low of marriages. People are not getting married as much anymore. And then divorces have also dropped. The peak was in the 80s. So in the 80s, lots of people were getting married and lots of people were getting divorced. Well, we did talk about that a little bit. And I know that one's not directly post-war, but the post-war era, people got married a lot faster and then got divorced a lot faster. So that's a whole different generation who viewed marriage very differently than people who got married in the 60s and 70s because history was changing. Right. Right. So So, people getting divorced in the 80s likely got married in the 70s, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. Okay. And people who are getting married in the 80s are probably born in like the 60s or so. Yeah. That's correct. Like in their 20s in the 80s. And that's different. Those are different people, right? The people who are getting married in the 70s and divorced in the 80s were born at a different time than the people who are getting married in the 80s. So again... Just thinking about like roughly decades wise, who is doing what? Yeah. No matter how we look at these statistics and when you got married and what decade it was and when you divorced and what decade that was, 
Divorce is in the machine now. Even if you never divorce, you will know people who have, and you will consider your own marriage in the light of the concept of divorce. Who else is in the machine? The dog. Jade. Gemma. Or Jade. That, I think that was Gemma. Gemma. Yeah, got it. Oh, I know those barks. Gemma, get off the show. Do you know anybody who's divorced, Kim? Yeah. I got a bunch cool. of friends who are divorced. Well, Noble's not, divorced. Not cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, now I see him in a different light. The light of divorce the machine. I know a number of people who are divorced. So yeah, you asked right. me that, and we have mutual friends. You asked mm -hmm. if I knew people who were divorced. I mean, yeah, I know. I was trying to. I don't know. I guess I was more curious if you knew non-mutual people, yeah. like other Noble friends of yours, Terry. Uh, yeah, Terry. Yeah, which is interesting to me, mostly because you're just enough younger that perhaps not as many of your friends are married in the first place. Um, Most and of, of course, my friends are older than. You actually, right? Though that's the other thing, right? I that that's why I asked is because yeah. your like your pool of people is a very different in a lot of ways than the people I know. But both of us know people who are divorced, so yeah. that just I'm just trying to reinforce Don's statistics with real world experience, and my real world experience is that yes, I do know people who are divorced, and that yes. It, you do consider then your own marriage in the light of that. I haven't um, even gotten married yet, and I do think about it. So, you think about your marriage in the light of divorce, your future yeah, of that. I don't want to enter a marital contract with that. Like, if I choose to get married, I want to get married with the intent of this being my marriage. And think about it most people don't get married with the intent of getting divorced. Yeah, that was sort of what I was going to say is I don't right. think anybody goes into it. But so if you look at it, Ben, you and Sarah dated for a decade before you got married. I'm fairly certain you were confident in your relationship before you got married. Yeah. Right. But lots of people don't date for a decade, but they, that doesn't mean that they are going into it without confidence. I understand for me, I would rather have a domestic partnership with somebody. I don't know how to explain it. No, I think, I, of course, I agree with you. Like, I think that you want to be very certain before you were to marry somebody officially and legally and whatnot. I don't know that means that you would date them for 10 years first, but you would probably want to live with them for a little bit and make sure they're cool with your crazy cat and a number of other things before you agreed to marry them. For Sarah and I, actually, we did date for a long time and she was pretty on the fence about marriage as a thing, whether she even wanted to do it. And we had a lot of conversations about it, as we do, because communication is step one. And one of the deciding factors to actually getting married was me realizing that if she truly didn't want to get married, that was fine that I was willing to be with her anyway. And that for her was something that like clicked over like, oh, okay, now I'm cool with getting married, <laughs> which seems counterintuitive and is not going to be true for everybody. But that was part of our conversation was just realizing like that particular legal contract wasn't necessarily the core of the relationship we were building. Yes. And that's it. Right. So love is an emotion like any of the other emotions. Marriage is a contract. 
and a relationship is work. And like I've said uh, lots and lots of times, people are probably bored with this. You don't get married on your wedding day. You get married every day. He is saying that a lot. If we ever make like a t-shirt or something, it'll be a picture of Don in a wedding dress and a little speech bubble. Look, I look very good in a wedding dress. All right. I'm sure you do. Astute listeners will note that we named this episode Juggling Knives, but they may not know what we mean by that. Kim, can you talk us through what the knife juggling is all about? Well, so while marriage is a contract, it can also feel like a circus. And knife juggling is part of that. Very straightforward. <laughs> right? I, I, I there we go. never have guessed that one. If we look at this uh, in the context of divorce, there are plenty of cases where the formal couple has decoupled with respect and honor. Differences in parenting are resolved with respect and consideration. Communication happens, whether that's through a mediator or just within the partnership. This is like juggling knives and grabbing it by the handle, right? It's dangerous. It's scary. But at the end, you're not getting injured within this process. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. There are some cases that continue with acrimony and disrespect. Children are sometimes used as weapons against the former spouse. Not knives, though. The knives are part of the metaphor. The children are not the knives. I just want to be clear here because I started thinking like we were juggling the knives and then the children are weapons. But the children are holding knives. That's how this works out. Not Chucky. In some really bad cases, that does happen. It can go really sour for children. But thank you. We're not going to go there. Children get used as weapons against the former spouse, the former spouse's extended family. Things can get really messy. This is juggling knives by grabbing the blades. It's dangerous. It hurts. And it hurts for everyone involved, not just one person. So that's the explanation for our episode title. There's two ways to juggle knives. The way that doesn't hurt and the way that does hurt. And And divorce can happen both ways, but hopefully you do it the less painful way. Right. And divorce happens because people are not getting along. Uh, And then they have to make decisions together on how to move apart And sometimes that goes really well. There are people who have those conversations and it is the best choice for everyone involved and it goes smoothly. If you don't have kids and you're getting a divorce, it can be a little bit easier because of the finality after the material things are divided. There's no co-parenting, custody arrangements, child support, all of that stuff. There can be complications if there was a large group of mixed friends. There's the joke in almost every TV show about groups of friends where who goes with who in the divorce when a couple breaks up. So understanding that will cause lingering issues, but most of the time those are adult friends and they figure themselves out. When children who are minors are involved, uh, there are a lot more issues and it can last a longer time. As I mentioned, custody agreements, child support, care of the child, all of these things go into this dispute and It can get messy. It can go smoothly, but a lot of times it gets really messy trying to talk about how are we going to co-parent if we're going to co-parent and how do we make this best for the kid? Sometimes the kid isn't even brought in as a consideration though, which is really frustrating 
specifically for the kid. At the end of it all, you have to agree what's in the best interest of the child if the child is involved in this. When you, there's sort of a, a third, I don't type. Uh, there's probably more than three types of divorce, but you're talking about divorce when you don't have kids, divorce when you have minor children, kids who are 18 or under. And then there's also divorce when you have adult children. And I don't know if either of you have any thoughts about like, it, Kim, what you just mentioned where the kid is not, the children are not considered or involved. And that's really harmful, especially for minor children. But that's also an aspect of when you have adult children, I think, I feel like there are situations where parents have raised children to adulthood and then decide to get divorced and don't consult those adult children at all because there's sort of this assumption, well, they are, they're good. They've got their own thing going. We're just going to do this. Do you have any insight into like, that's still pretty harmful to the kids, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, mean, I have lots of cases like that. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like that happens kind of a lot. Yeah. Yes, there there are a lot of people who stay married until the last kid goes to college. Mm -hmm. And the well, marriage has been bad for years. And we've also talked a little bit about the empty nest syndrome and turning towards your partner and going, who are you? And not feeling connected with that individual. So it's not even years of not getting along. It's we've launched the kids and now we're looking at each other going, uh-huh. Yeah, Am is I it, even in you? Do you get, I guess probably the cases that come see you, Don, it, it has been a bad marriage. But I are there a lot of situations where it's not really bad. It's just you've done this team thing for 18 plus years and now you're done. And you're like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I guess if they're coming to see you, it's probably kind of bad. But right. there are probably cases where it's not so bad. Mm -hmm. But it's still very much a, a pulling the rug out from under the kids. That last kid gets off to college and six months later hears that their parents are getting divorced and is like, wait, what? I just, but I just left. <laughs> Everything yeah. was fine six months ago. And it, well, that and that's actually the very core of the issue for the adult child is what was true when I was growing up. Right. Was this whole, was my experience up until now a lie? Yeah. And I guess in some ways, yes, it was something that the parents chose to create to have a stable household to raise the child in and mm -hmm. are now doing away with. Sure. And in some ways that can be a gift. And if you talk through this, the adult mm -hmm. child can recognize that we cared so much about you that we set our own needs aside until you could get off on your own doing your own thing. That's a very positive spin on it. As opposed to, we did the societally correct thing and stayed until you left and yes, never really loved you. Yes, we lied to you for 18 years. <laughs> right. Hated oh, your... No. I feel like saying we've out the the first one can also lead to some guilt for the adult child, depending on pre-existing mental oh, health yeah. concerns. And so recognizing the child that you do have and working to help them understand your choices. Because thinking about it of like, oh, we knew that this would hurt you and we stayed together to co-parent you and all of this stuff. And I put my needs aside in order to make, like, I can see how that can feel super guilt trippy down the line. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and well, if you're, well, I don't know, we talked a little bit about in the last episode, 
parents who maybe didn't do such a great job caring for their kids and that that would play all into this too. It could be a big old mess. But I think my big point is it doesn't really matter what age your kids are, whether they're adults or minors, you and your partner choosing to divorce will still affect them. And if you are considerate, you should try to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. And we're not saying that divorce is bad. Divorce is a thing. And how you do it can have a ripple effect. There are ways to do this that are positive and uplifting. There are ways to do this that are horrific. Yeah, the divorce system is flawed. It applies criminal law practices to family issues. It's often blind to the emotional damage the legal practice of divorce does. Divorce attorneys are often brutal to the other side without regard for the effect their words have on that person. They're just Do, trying to win the case. Is, is it just that? Do divorce... I don't know any divorce attorneys, I don't think. But like... They're just trying to win the case. That's one level of like being brutal where you're just going to deliver pretty cold stuff to the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Do they also get wrapped up in, well, I'm on the wife's side emotionally. I probably not, I guess like it's a professional thing, right? Yeah, but they're human beings. And so that might be something, but it's, so an attorney is required to zealously represent their client. Mm. And that's kind of part of this flawed system where it's based in legal stuff. So, right, they're required to zealously represent, which is not really what you want when you're trying to come to this kind of agreement. That You need right. to be more open to communication and compromise. Mm -hmm. Another thing we've talked about on this show. Yes. And the legal system is not super set up for compromise. I guess it kind of is, but it's usually in like a win-loss format, right? So to, to be fair, at least in this county, so Wake County, the judges mostly push really hard to make the couple go to mediation and mm. settle this in mediation before coming to court. But once it's at court, once it's in front of the judge, it can get extraordinarily ugly and misrepresent one or both of the people going through all of this. And that's not necessary, but it, our system is what our system is and it is flawed and it does do damage. Change the system. I'd love to. So if you're a judge out there that does family law and you would like to change the system too, I'm happy to help you. Reach out, please. Action items. <laughs> Do away with, with divorce in the legal system? I don't know. Well, I, I don't think we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> improve the communication, right? So we've developed mediation. Discernment counseling is the decision of is this what we do or is this not improving access to marital support marital counseling and just in general improving the level of communication that happens within this process rather than i'm done with you let's split what are tell me about discernment counseling again because i don't know about it Boston. so discernment counseling was created by bill doherty and he did it in response to the fact that a lot of the couples that came to him appeared to have dual agendas. One person was leaning out, wanting to get out of the relationship, and the other person was clinging on, wanting to keep the relationship. And that dual agenda really prevented any good marital therapy from happening. So he created this as a pre-marital uh, therapy thing 
where you first got, not before you actually get married, but before you start marital therapy, where you get on the same agenda, like helping each partner understand the other person's point of view. And that's what it really is. It's a facilitated conversation with a single question, which is what is the future of your marriage? And there are really only three answers. You can continue doing what you're doing now. You can get a divorce or you can recognize that there's value in this relationship. And we both choose to work diligently for at least six months on improving the marriage by focusing on each individual's behavior set rather than pointing across the marriage to the other person about the other person's behavior. Right. And that's a key thing. If you're going to be successful in marital therapy, you really have to look at your own behavior instead of accusing your partner. Do a lot of people who take discernment counseling choose to change their relationship and improve it? Define a lot. More than 50%. No. Yeah. I was going to say, of those three options, that one sounds by far the hardest. Like if I'm just objectively looking at those three things, I'm like, well, I don't want to stay in this relationship because it's bad. But the other thing sounds hard as So I think I'm going to choose the divorce. I know I'm going to have to bleep myself. But like for real, though, when you describe it, it's like, of course, change is hard. Changing yourself is really hard. Dealing with what's already an on the rocks, difficult relationship. And what you're saying is now both of us have to commit to working really hard on ourselves for the next six months. I'm like, man, that's a hard sell. Like, I'm for it, but that's a hard sell. Sure. It makes, I don't know. I would have have to to check with the Doherty Institute about what their national stats are. But my personal stats are about one third of the folks move on to marital therapy. I will tell you this, the folks that do move on to marital therapy actually improve their marriage. They make the shift. Well, and and they probably like significantly improve not just their marriage, but themselves and relationships to other people, because you're going to learn a lot of the stuff that you're learning on this podcast. And as we've established, it applies to all of the relationships in your life. Yep. So yeah, hugely valuable, still a lot of work. And of course, a fan of doing that work, but that's just me. I also want to point out that there are a lot of divorce attorneys who listen very carefully and they push people to marital therapy or push them Mm. to discernment counseling rather than starting down the road of the formal divorce through separation and the rest of that. So I I don't want to throw divorce attorneys under the bus. We did kind of throw them. I'm sorry. We did throw them under the bus earlier. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. And that's not really fair because they do. I I know a number of them who will push people towards therapy or towards uh, discernment counseling. I can take responsibility for that one since I don't think, as far as I know, I don't know any divorce attorneys. And we were describing the whole process as kind of cold and heartless and brutal. And so it was just kind of like an easy, bye guys. There's a very good uh, documentary about this. I think you can find it on Netflix called Divorce Inc., which is the business, the business model of divorce, because divorces can get super expensive. Yeah, I say as if I know. But yeah, that's what pop culture has taught me. So if you're going to do a divorce, if you uh, go to your discernment counseling and decide to get divorced, how do you do that well? So that's the hard part. 
Because the skills you need are the same ones that you need to create a strong, healthy marriage. So what I was just saying about how the staying in the marriage part and changing yourself seemed like the hardest option. You're actually, the divorce is also the same. It's a trick question. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hard either way. Correct. Cause you have mm -hmm. to honor the other person, even though their decision is different than yours. You have to honor them. Recognize the decision might be mutual. You still need to honor them and it's still a challenge. Yeah, that's true. And you're right, Kim, that sometimes it's mutual, although that's a tiny percentage in my experience. Now, again, I have a skewed population. The people who come to me are having problems. And so there may be lots out there where it is much more mutual. I, I have just a don't lot see of them. group of friends who it's been mutual. They've decided that this is not a life that's working for them. They have incredibly different values or I know one was because there was a, a relocation for work and stuff and it just didn't work out that way. Are, so. e even in the mutual ones, is it truly like equal mutual or is they both agree, yeah, divorce was the right path, but one person is a little more in favor than the other? The dynamics that I can think of, a couple were just not particularly healthy. So right. there's the narcissistic man who doesn't want to give up, but they did decide like us not being together is a good choice, but I don't yeah. want to let you go out of my life completely. But you're right. There there will be that person who does the what if or maybe and is probably further in it than the other person. And uh, the concept of mutual from what I've understood is we both know that this is the right path to go on. Our hearts might not feel the same way. Right. And human beings are rarely symmetrical. It's almost always an asymmetrical deal. So one is more than the other. But, you know, you, you still need these skills. If you can honor the other person, if you can engage in conversation with respect, if you can really try and understand the other person's point of view and have a willingness to accept influence, that your ideas may not always be the ones that are carried through. And to do that with grace, that's how you do divorce well. And it starts with developing some goals with your estranged spouse that describe the outcome that you want at the end of the divorce process. So when I do collaborative divorce, one of the first things that I do with a couple is get them to say, what are our goals? How will we measure any of the ideas that we come up with for a solution for different things like dividing property or cash flow or parenting the children? And then when we start to brainstorm about those things, we go back to, does this really meet what we said the outcome is that we want? That's hard to do. Finding common goals is often very difficult with folks who are wanting to go away from one another. If there are children in this process, really keeping their needs in front of the process and their needs may not be well understood by the parents. That was the first thing I was going to say. It's like, how do you even know? It, it depends. The age of the kid would help some with that. But even a fairly self-aware, like young teen you can't just be like, what are your needs in this? Like, they're not going to be able to answer that question fully. That's right. And they don't have enough experience in the world to know even what their options are. Yeah. What most children experience is they want a relationship with each parent. Most kids love both of their parents. They want stability and predictability. This is probably the biggest thing that kids want. 
They want to know where they're going to be sleeping and where they're going to go to school and when they can play with their friends. They want that. They want their friend groups to stay intact. So if one person lives 30 minutes away, and so when the children go back and forth between the households, they're isolated from their friend group, that's often painful. They also need contact with extended family on both sides. So access to grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, particularly if they've already developed relationships with them. We were talking last episode about your, about aging parents being an opportunity to learn mm -hmm. things about yourself and your parents and grow and that it's really challenging, but it's an opportunity. There's some carryover here. This is also an opportunity to help your children learn a lot of things and improve communication. And you were talking about stability and predictability. I had a thought, I feel like we see this play out a lot in movies and kind of the classic like divorced parents in a movie and one of them is always missing recitals and games and that kind of thing. And that's important to pay attention to. And that, that's something we've talked about even just it, in normal parenting, like when we've covered parenting before on this show, being present for your kids in that way and prioritizing that. So mm -hmm. it's still important here. Yeah. And being reliable, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can't make the recital or the sports game, tell your kid, hey, I'm not going to get there. Other things are in the way. But give them the expectation. Don't tell them, yes, I'll definitely be there and then not show up. But also don't consistently tell them you're going to be there and then also tell them that you can't make it because that's basically the same thing. Right? If you said, you, you got to get there at least some of the time. <laughs> well, it needs to be a priority, which is a different right. thing. How... And, and this goes to your values and are you living your values? If you truly put this kid in your value set, then how is your behavior demonstrating your love and caring? I, this feels terrible to ask, but in your experience, are there situations where the couple wants to get divorced and one member doesn't want anything to do with the kids anymore? Oh, yeah, that happens a lot. All the time. Do you have any advice for dealing with that? That's a pretty big wound. And having a trusted adult to talk to, often a therapist, but it doesn't have to be a therapist. It can be someone from your church or synagogue or... Or, uh, or a chosen mosque. family or... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. another or family school. member. Because part of the issue is that kid where the parent has just gone off and, and doesn't contact them again and that kind of thing their imagination is all they're left with. And what they think of is they're not good enough. They weren't lovable enough. They didn't exist to this person. And so how can they exist or be lovable or anything? It's very painful. And I have a, a fair number of adults who are struggling with that because that was their childhood. Yeah. And I currently have the kids. Yeah. Who are in that yeah. situation. Just remember, number one, divorce is not always bad. Sometimes it is the best choice for both people and even the kids. How you do it makes all the difference. And the more that you fight using lawyers, the less resources you will have to raise your children or even to take care of yourself. So think about that. Is it worth the fight? Is it worth all of the acrimony that comes from that? Can you not find a solution that works reasonably well? 
This week we covered divorce from a few different angles, but I would say my biggest takeaway from the conversation is what Don ended with. Divorce is neither good nor bad, it just is, and how you handle it is what makes all the difference. Try to juggle those knives by the handles, folks. Thanks for joining us on the Relationship Road Trip this week. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the show, please consider giving us some stars or even a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon in the show notes. You can get a bunch of bonus content like guided meditations and digital artwork for just a few dollars a month. We'll catch you next week, but until then, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.